as Chris mentioned, you're about to get 13 straight weeks of me because we're entering into what might be the most important season the church has gone through in my 30 years of preaching as we're launching today what we've told you for months was coming, the start of our Greater Things Capital Campaign to add fuel to our 2020 vision. So I'm not going to pull any punches this morning. We've been talking about it for years. We've been pushing it all year and now it's about time to actually begin the journey, we are going to be asking you to give an offering unlike any this church has ever given to fund the greatest vision this church has ever had. Now, I know what you're thinking already. Do you not have a clue how bad the economy is right now? Of course I do. I got a pre-declined credit card in the mail just the other day. I went to McDonald's and ordered a quarter pounder with cheese and the little girl behind the counter said, can you afford fries with that? (laughs) Motel 6 won't even leave the light on for me anymore. So I know times are hard and in our times, I just want to give you this encouragement from the billionaire John D. Rockefeller. He says, what you need to do is go to work early. You need to stay at work late and you need to find oil. If you'll just do those three things, times will get better. That is one reason why when we announced the campaign last February, we went into a season that we called getting our own houses in order before we work on the house of God. We went to Andy Stanley small group series and one of the things we said over and over is we want you to be good stewards and not live under financial bondage. We don't want anyone going into more debt to fund the work of the kingdom of God. We're not going to do it as a church and we don't want you to do it in your home. But we do believe it's time to add fuel to the 2020 vision of our church. It's time for us to prepare for greater things. Why? Because greater things means greater numbers of people following Jesus. And that's why we exist as a church. Our mission statement is that we exist to grow followers of Jesus through worship, community, and service. Now, worship, community, and service is the path. But growing the followers of Jesus is the goal. Discipleship is the goal. Our mission is to grow followers of Jesus. And it's non-negotiable because we are under orders from our head. Matthew 28, one of his last words to his church. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. The word just means followers. Go make followers. Of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus said, you want my presence, you want my support, you want my authority, then go do what I told you to do. Go make followers of me. And then in Acts 1-8, the verse that's kind of become the, the uh, skeleton for our 2020 vision, he said... You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And I want you to go into Jerusalem as my witnesses, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And it's interesting to me 
that immediately in the book of Acts, Luke starts to record how they did that, and he starts to give numbers. He starts to count how many followers they began to make. See, churches that claim they're not into numbers need to realize one thing. God is. God counts people for one reason. People count. People matter to God. Every single person is an eternal soul that matters to God. And so we have this 2020 vision, you see. It's not just a way to measure our faithfulness in growing followers. It's a way to measure our faithfulness in growing more followers of Jesus. And so we want to do work in Judea, those parts of our community that are like us but not close to us geographically. So since 2005, when we launched our 2020 vision, we've spent over $3 million in Judea, planting three churches, doing other works. In Samaria, our emphasis on cross-cultural ministry, we've planted three churches in five years. We've sent over $1.8 million in Samaria. Ends of the earth, where we're currently supporting 21 missionary families in 13 countries and trying to build a Christian university in Uganda to impact East Africa. We've spent $16.4 million in the last five years. Now, you add to that what we've done in Jerusalem, our local area in Fort Worth, that is externally focused. In other words, it's monies that we spend for people that don't come to this church. The total in the last five years is $30 million. Right now, over half of the budget of this current year for this church goes to help people who don't come to this church. Now, as good as all that is, we believe contentment is the enemy of a prevailing church. Maintenance of status quo is not and will not ever be the DNA of the Hills Church of Christ. And so to fund the rest of our vision, if we're going to see all the churches we want to plant planted, if we're going to get that university built, if we're going to see more missionary families and 300 missionary specialists sent in the next 10 years, we're estimating it's going to take at least $90 million. Now, how's that possible? Well, obviously, it's possible because God's going to help us, because Jesus promised to be with us when we go make followers, and God's going to enable us. But the other thing that's got to happen is that we, here in this local place, have to continue to grow. When I announced the 2020 vision five years ago, I told you God put it on my heart that by 2020, we would have 8,000 people worshiping in our church every weekend. At that time, we had about 3,200. And in the last five years, we've added 1,000 worshipers a weekend to our number. And that's critical because each soul matters to God and because continued growth means more resources to reach more followers of Jesus. But this is the year. You knew it was coming. And this is the year. It is critical now that we build up Jerusalem to fund the rest of the vision. This is the year to add fuel to the 2020 vision of the Hills Church of Christ. So we're doing something we haven't done in 10 years. We are going to have a major capital campaign. 
It's going to be in conjunction with Harvest Weekend, our annual missions offering. It's going to be November 13th and 14th. And I'm going to make you two promises right now before I explain what money goes for. Number one, we're going to remain a debt-free church. We are not going to go into debt to fund this mission. We don't believe you do things in the unbiblical way for a biblical cause. We're not going into debt. We don't want you to go into debt. Number two, I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm not going to be slick. I'm not going to be deceitful. I'm not going to manipulate you. I heard about a preacher and he needed a bunch of money to repair a roof damaged in a storm and they didn't have enough money. So he said to his organist, now I'm going to make a big pitch and when I make it, I need you to play something inspiring. She said, I got it. So he makes the big pitch. We need money to fix our roof. How many of you are going to stand up right now and give me a thousand dollars? He looked at the organist. She started playing the national anthem. It probably worked, but we're not going to do it that way. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to lay out before you the greater things that we can do if we make the mission of God first. And I'm trusting the Holy Spirit is going to inspire you to be generous. What are we going to do? What are the greater things we can do? First, greater opportunity to expand our witness. Because the first thing that we're going to fund in its entirety... With the money that comes in in November is our harvest weekend. The first monies go to completely fund our harvest goals, which includes supporting all 21 of our missionaries in 13 countries. And this year it includes two new missionary families, the overall family and the shut family. And you should rec- recognize those two ladies because Meriden Layfield and Ellen Brooks grew up in our church. And so once again, we're going to send our kids to the mission field because that should be something that should be a non-negotiable for us. If our children want to go to the mission field, we need to always say yes and send them. We're also going to finish purchasing land for Livingstone International University, our Christian university in Uganda. This is an artist's rendering of our first building. They're going to try to start building that building this next year. And it's going to change East Africa. We're going to plant our next church next year with Chris and Lindsay Travis. It's going to be in Upper Manhattan. Chris Travis grew up as an atheist. He has one of the most amazing conversion stories I've ever heard He knows how to talk to skeptics because he was one. And he came to Christ. In fact, he's going to be here this Wednesday night at the summit. You need to come hear him. He's going to do a book signing. He wrote a book this last year called Unnamed. And all it did, first book ever, is go to number five on the Christian bestsellers list. An amazing man. He's our next church planner. So all that's going to be in the harvest fund. And the harvest goal for November is going to be $1.5 million dollars, our largest harvest ever. But what I do not want you to think is, okay, so the first 1.5 million goes to missions. It's all about missions. Whether it's in Africa or it's in Fort Worth, it's all about the mission of God. See, this is going to give a second greater opportunity to enlarge our own family. To enlarge our family. Because we can't grow to 8,000 worshipers doing things the way we currently do things. And so we believe God has given us two bold initiatives to grow right here in Fort Worth. The first, as you heard, is that we are next spring going to launch a second campus of our church. 
We've already got the group that's going to launch. They're already meeting. In fact, they're meeting right now in the uh, 24-7 in their own worship time. That is an old abandoned cinema. It's on I-30 between Cherry Lane and Las Vegas Trail. Every time you drive past it, say a prayer because we're going to renovate that and that is going to be the second campus of the Hills Church just starting next year. We're excited. Now, that part of the campaign is going to take about $1.5 million. And then the second thing we've got to do if we want to grow our family to fund our vision is we've got to redesign this auditorium. We've talked about this. It's time to make it happen. Uh, You're going to see some pictures of uh, what it's going to look like. It's going to be a big, huge change. We're taking out the pews. We're putting in multi-sized theater seats. We're moving the baptistry down front, and I'll tell you why that's important in a second. We're going to improve sight lines so that you people that sit on the balcony can see the whole screen for a change. Oh, and by the way, we're moving the stage out so that not only can you see better, but I can see you better and finally find out what's really going on under the balcony. (laughs) We're going to go from analog to digital sound, HD quality video. We're going to do two things that aren't uh, big on the wow factor but have to be done. We've got serious foundation problems down here at the front we've got to fix. And we've got to fix our lighting. We get a lot of complaints about the lighting. We can't help it. These fixtures are over 25 years old and they're not even made anymore. So we can't replace them. We've got to give a totally new system in place. We're going to have a new back of house. uh, And the best thing of all, we're going to increase the seating capacity of this room by 400 seats. So we're going to expand by 20%. And it's going to take $8.8 million to do it. So let's add it up. We've got 1.5 for Harvest, 1.5 for Westside, 8.8 for this room. That's $11.8 million. Now, your leaders knew this was coming. So for the last two years, they've been taking part of your tithes and offerings and setting it aside. They've set aside $1.8 million. What that means then is that for this campaign to fuel our vision, we need ten million dollars. Now, folks, salvation's free, but ministry is expensive. You know why? Because life is costly. A man named Don Linscott wrote an article I'll never forget. He said, you know, it didn't dawn on me until we had our first child how much kids cost. You got to pay the hospital." Then you got to buy all the diapers and you got to buy all the clothes that they outgrow as soon as you get them home. And then you got to pay for braces and you got to buy glasses and there's all the school fees and there's all the sports fees. And then they need a car and then you got to pay for the insurance and then you got to do college. And they did all those things for their son Lance. And then at the age of 21, in a tragic accident, they buried their son. It changed his life. I want you to read what he said. Death is cheap. Death can be sustained without expense. It's living that's costly. And it affected how he viewed his church. He said, it's growth that's expensive. Our dreams, visions, hopes require sacrifice. Death doesn't. That's why I will always belong to a church that needs money. Stagnant churches don't have campaigns. Dead churches don't ask you to sacrifice. 
Because they have forgotten that Jesus is the subject of the Bible and give is the verb. We don't intend to become a stagnant church because we're under orders. You see, we believe this campaign is going to give us a greater opportunity to increase our faith. I think we're going to say this campaign is one of the times when we grew spiritually more than numerically because we're going to grow our hearts while we're growing the house of God. And I'll tell you why. Because Jesus said, your hearts always follow your treasure. It's not the other way around. He did not say your treasure follows your heart. He said, no, your heart follows your treasure. Now, I got some good news. God has already supplied all the funds we need for this vision. But I got some bad news. It's still in your pockets. <laughs> but I got some great news. This campaign is going to afford you the opportunity to step out in faith like you never have before and to model that faith in a life-changing way for your family. This isn't something we do every year. It's been 10 years since we've done it. If you've got small children, this might be the only time in the, that they are in your home that you'll be able to talk through something like this with them. It's an incredible chance for you to grow and grow your family. It's not a fundraising effort. It's a faith-raising effort. It's not about becoming bigger donors. It's about becoming better disciples. That's why I think tough times are a blessing. Because it's a better context for our faith to grow. Our faith isn't challenged when we have a surplus. Our faith is challenged when we have to make hard decisions about what we love most. You know, in the uh, first century, there was a famine all over the world. People were hurting and Paul was taking up monies to help some of the poor in Judea. But the thing is, wherever he went, times were hard. And listen to what he said about the church in Macedonia. He says, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. Now, how often do you put those two words together? It says, it welled up in rich generosity. For I testify they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in his service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then to us, in keeping with God's will. Tony Kampala was at this uh, women's Christian banquet, and they were uh, going to take up an offering for some good cause. And he was asked if he would lead a prayer that God would bless them so that they could give. He said, I won't do it. God has already blessed you with everything you need for this offering. So instead, take up the offering, and then I will lead a prayer, and I will thank God for freeing us up to be generous with His blessings. And that's exactly what happened. Okay. I'm going to try for the next two minutes not to go on a rant. I'm going to try to be careful how I say this. But I was so disgusted this past week that our godless media gave 15 minutes of fame to a kook in Florida to represent churches and represent Christ and show the world what supposedly Christians stand for. So we gave him his 15 minutes of fame. There were better stories to talk about, all the good things Christians are doing in the world, 
all the Christians around the world that are getting persecuted and martyred, that would have been a good story. But instead, we took a kook and we gave him 15 minutes of fame. And I want to tell you something. He doesn't represent me. He doesn't represent Christians. He certainly doesn't represent Jesus. And I'll tell you why. Because Jesus believes in the separation of church and hate. Okay? And I'm sorry for what it might mean for American interest in the world and particularly for what it might mean for American military personnel. But what made me saddest of all was that around the world it made Jesus look ugly. And I was reminded again how passionate we must be to make Jesus look beautiful all over the earth. And we're going to have to be aggressive because no TV station is going to come and interview us if we want to go and feed the hungry or go to the sick or take the gospel to the world. We're going to have to be aggressive and know that Jesus is pleased. And I think we are. In ways that never make the headlines, I believe this church is making Jesus look beautiful around the world. I was reminded of that just last week. You know that we live stream our services. People all over the world are watching us right now. And I got an email from a lady in Virginia. And she was a believer in God and a fearful of God at the same time because she thought God was judgmental, God was vengeful, and she didn't think she could ever have a relationship with God. And a friend said, you ought to go online and you ought to watch the services of this church in Fort Worth. And she started doing it. And she emailed me and said, I have come to find God. And if I came to Texas, would you baptize me? And so this last week she came and she came with her friend and her friend's 82-year-old mother. And I want you to watch what happened. Uh, For many years now, I've had a, a strong faith in God and have always had something missing. And it wasn't until recently that I've been fortunate to listen to Rick Ashley on the Internet through a good friend of mine, Mike Austin, that I finally have peace because I know that God is loving and forgiving instead of um, critical and judgmental. And I finally have found freedom. And I wanted Rick to baptize me. And I just want to say thank you for uh, listening to us on the Internet and for all the kind things you've said to me and about our church. And I pray and hope that you can find a church home in Virginia that can be a blessing to you. But just by coming and by uh, making the statement that you're making now, I want you to know that God is using you to make a difference. Season. So I'm going to ask you a question. Do you believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Son of God? I certainly do. And do you want to follow him with all your heart the rest of your life? Yes, I do. I know you do. I'm baptizing you now in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit for forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that that joy that you discovered be part of who you are until Jesus comes back. Amen. Amen. Okay, now keep watching. Remember her friend's 82-year-old mother came, right? She decided she wanted to be baptized too. And I almost drowned her. 
Now that's why it's important that we build the baptistry down at the front so that people can come and rescue those I baptize. Because in one moment, I almost sent her to heaven and me to prison at the same time. And that's the church at her best, making Jesus look beautiful. See, it leads to the greatest thing of all, and that is a greater cause to thank and glorify God. Read your Bible, and you're going to find this. Every time there was a major fundraising effort in the Bible, every single time, offerings of treasure produced offerings of praise. Including the one Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians. In the next chapter, he said, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, which alone is good enough reason, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, men will praise God. Stop a moment and think about who they are. They don't even know Jesus yet. But because of what we're going to do, men will praise God. God, for the obedience that comes is your confession of the gospel of Christ, for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And folks, that's why I just cannot accept a maintenance mindset for the church. I know a lot of you are thinking, this is the best church I've ever been a part of. And it would be real easy to say, so let's just build up some walls and let's huddle inside and let's just keep things like they are. We can't do that. We're under orders not to do that. Some years ago, there was this church on the coast of England. It was destroyed by a hurricane. The people didn't have the money to rebuild it. The minister was surprised one day. There was on his door a member of the Royal Navy. He said, aren't you going to rebuild your church? They said, we don't have the money to do it. He said, well then, sir, the Royal Navy is going to rebuild it. Because that church and that spire is on all of our maps and we use your church to steer our course. And that's how I feel. A lost world needs the church at her best to find her way. We've done great things, but greater things are yet to come. I love this story. This Bible school teacher says that... um, She teaches first graders, and and one day, this little boy came. He was a visitor, and he was missing one arm. And her first thought was, will the other kids make fun of him or tease him or gawk at him? But to her great surprise, maybe she shouldn't have been surprised, they acted like they didn't notice. They just took him in as one of theirs, and everything went great till the very end of class. She always ended class the same way, saying, okay, kids, let's put our hands together. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors, and here's all the people. And as she started, she asked, what have I done? And she looked over at little Davy, and one of her little first grade girls had come across the room and grabbed his hand and said, Davy, let's build the church together. That's what we're going to do. Because the work of God in this place needs to go forward. And so does the work of God in your heart. And so, Father, I'm just praying right now that you would fill us with a holy discontent. As awesome as the things you've used us to do are, as 
nice as things right now feel, Father, there's still so many more souls to reach. So much more good to be done. So many more places where Jesus has not been made to look beautiful. And so, Father, we're offering ourselves. And we pray that you would use these next two months to remind us, teach us, convict us, inspire us to give our lives to what matters most. For the glory of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Now, I promise you, I'm just making you a promise right now. You're not going to hear for the next nine weeks, nine straight sermons on giving. You might hear one, but you're not going to hear nine. What you are going to hear for the next two months is the joy that comes when we invest our lives in the kingdom of God. And it's going to be one of the best growing seasons of our lives. It could be even today. God has brought someone here who's ready, just like Susan, just like Ann, to embrace Jesus completely and fully, be baptized into Him, and to become one more number following Jesus to the glory of God. This is your time to come while we stand up and sing.